You're listening to. Whoa! Welcome back to Books and Boba. We are a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. Uh, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're here this episode to talk about the July, was it July? The yeah, July, July book club pick, Exit West by Mozen Hamid. But before we get to that, um, I guess we have some, since it's the top of the month, let's just go through some book news. Yeah, we're going to yeah. go through some new releases and some literary news from the Asian American community. So first on our new releases list is Beautiful Poison by Lydia Kang. It releases on August 1st. I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but it's, it's probably out by now by the time you're listening to this. I'm hoping it was out yesterday. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, And it's published by Lake Union Publishing. And the summary goes, In the streets of 1918 New York, the deadly Spanish influenza ripples through the city. But with so many victims in her close circle, young socialite Aline questions if the flu is really to blame. All appear to have been poisoned, and every death was accompanied by a mysterious note. Desperate for answers and dreading her own engagement to a wealthy gentleman, Aline returns to her passion for scientific discovery and recruits her long-lost friends, Jasper and Bertie, for help. Cool. Uh, what else has she written? Uh, she wrote this sci-fi uh, novel called Control. Okay. And I think it was in the YA genre, but this, this one is... Um, more on the mystery and uh, you know, nice thriller yeah, genre. Yeah. <laughs> um, next up, also released on August first, is "Follow Your Heart" by Tasha Nathan, published by Lorimer. Um, Nisha has always been a good Sri Lankan Tamil daughter and tries to meet her parents' high expectations of her becoming a doctor or engineer. <laughs> Stop me if you heard this one before. Um, but what Nisha really loves is writing. As she devotes more of her time and attention to her creative writing class, she also finds that who she really loves is her classmate, Todd. Cool. So like romance slash coming of age slash... Yeah, it's a good summer book. Uh, and the final book on our new releases list is A Different Pond, written by Balfi and illustrated by T. Bui. Mm. Uh, also released on August 1st and published by Picture Window Books. As a young boy, author Balfi... Um, Balfi, sorry. Is it Balfi or Balfi? I don't know. I think it's Balfi. Balfi, okay. Um, As a young boy, author Balfi awoke early, hours before his father's long work day began, to fish on the shores of a small pond in Minneapolis. Unlike many other anglers, Bao and his father fished for food, not recreation. A successful catch meant a fed family. In this picture book, Bao recounts a memory of his father telling him about a different pond in their homeland of Vietnam. That's cool. Bao is a um, very renowned um, poet. Yeah, yeah, and you know, T-Boy, we all yeah, know we, who she is. <laughs> we, if you haven't checked our interview with T-Boy, uh, it was a couple months ago that we interviewed her on this podcast, but she has a really great graphic memoir called... Um, the Best We Could Do. The Best We Could Do That. That actually, um, coincidentally, has a lot to do with my thoughts about our July Book Club pick. Um, but before we get to that, we're we have one bit of news um, from right. The this is literary a huge, world. This is a big thing that happened. Um, did it happen during Comic Con or like it was it like shortly after? Yeah, Comic-Con. like the film adaptation of Jenny Han's best-selling novel to all the boys I loved before announced its cast earlier this month. Lana Condor will star as the protagonist, Lara Jean, a high school student whose secret love letters to her past crushes are unexpectedly mailed out. Um, the movie also stars Janelle Parrish and Anna Cathcart as Lara Jean's sisters. Meanwhile, Noah, S- Noah Cent- Centineo will play the love interest, Peter Kavinsky. I'm assuming these are all like very popular Disney stars. Uh, I know, <laughs> I know. Janelle Parrish is from Pretty Little Liars. Okay, so like from the the the, the, the like yeah. the the young people shows I don't watch anymore from the WB. But that's awesome. She just released the third part of this trilogy, right? It's a f- I, don't, I forgot if it was a trilogy or if it was a a four book series. Mm. Um, but I remember like when the news came out, it was big, right? But it but, wasn't. It wasn't announced. That it was going to be a movie. Until the, this announcement, right? Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. already into production and everything. That's awesome. But, but um, the reason why I wanted to like mention this on the podcast is there were some... Uh, like A lot of people were voicing their complaints about the casting because uh, 
Laura Jean, the protagonist in the two All the Boys I've Loved Before series, is half Korean, half white. Mm -hmm. And Lana Condor is Vietnamese American. Okay. So a lot of people were saying, like, oh, like, she's not Korean. She's not biracial. Oh. You can't just... Uh, you know, like different Asians are not interchangeable. And it also like um, brought up issues from the racist white community as well, being <laughs> like, why isn't she white? And it's like, she's half Korean. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean that like uh, she doesn't look Korean. But um, well, what are your thoughts? Because you've read the book before, right? I have not. Okay. I have not. But I have a lot of friends who um, are obsessed with the series mm. and who have gone to book readings and book signings. And they seem pretty excited. I mean, Lana Condor was Jubilee in in the X-Men okay. Apocalypse movie, although she got cut from the film. Yeah, I heard they cut a bunch of first. I haven't yeah. watched X-Men Apocalypse just mostly because of laziness slash like the reviews yeah. weren't so good. Well, I do want to read uh, Jenny Han's tweet uh, when she announced the casting on her Twitter. She's a very prolific tweeter. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. is. Um, so she wrote, To all the boys I've loved before is going to be a movie. Guys, I'm over the moon. The most important thing for me as the author is seeing an Asian American girl in the starring role. And with this movie, we get to not we get to see not one, but three. That is gra that is truly groundbreaking. I haven't seen Asian American women centered on the screen since Joy Luck Club, which was nearly 25 years ago. Representation is so important and this means the world to me. More than anything, I hope that the success of this movie will lead to more opportunities for Asian American actors and writers down the line. I love you all infi infinitely. And that's from Jenny Han, the author. Um, personally, like, even though I have not read this book, I mean... Uh, <laughs> it's pretty cool that we have both this and, and um, Crazy Rich Asians, which is now in post-production, yeah. too. So we have a, there's a lot of movies coming out that feature Asian... Asians front and center and Asian Americans yeah. specifically. I mean, I can I can understand from um, the perspective of a lot of like multi-ethnic and biracial fans of this book because, of course, you want to see yourself represented. Right. Um, but at the same time, I I know how hard it is to get a movie made in Hollywood, <laughs> and I know Jenny Han could have just uh, you know let the producers handled it handle it a long time ago because this book was optioned like years and years ago. Okay. So she really fought hard to have an some kind of Asian American lead in in the movie adaptation of this book. So um just from that like I have to really commend her for uh yeah. for like, you know, being stubborn and saying like you can't make this movie un unless you have uh, yeah. like an Asian American <laughs> actress. But like, at the same time I I understand I guess uh, what, what it comes down to, because I haven't read this book, it's not really in my wheelhouse, as people, long-time listeners of this podcast uh, will know, um, why a romance isn't exactly um, what I seek out, um, unless Weaver forces me to read it later on, which she probably will. Broaden your horizons. <laughs> but um, I think like with, with adaptations, is always going to be tough, right? Even Joy Luck Club, like, the movie... Those aren't all Chinese American actresses. You know, you had Japanese yeah. Americans. Even Crazy Rich Asians, it's hard. It's tough to get a whole like. I feel like there's certain like the battle for that kind of like specificity um, is probably down the line at this point. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I'm excited about just more representation for our, our younger generation, and you know, it's 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 a problem that will hopefully fix itself. Right, the more people that see themselves on screen, the more people that decide that they want to be on screen and the more you know supply that we have supply yeah. of actresses and actors that can fill those roles yeah i mean like if if laura jean the protagonist was just like was not biracial and she was korean american then maybe i would be i'll be like oh yeah sure like a vietnamese american actress can play that because um um like i feel like at that point yeah, like there's really not much you can do. But like when it comes to like when when the protagonist is biracial and you cast someone who's not biracial, then yeah, I can understand like the yeah. the iffiness of it. But at the same time, like I think Jenny Han, um, you know, she responded in a very diplomatic way, saying like I hope this movie adaptation opens a lot of doors so they can cast like more specific uh, actors for specific roles. Um, at this point, I don't think we're quite there yet. But yeah. 
I just hope that it's a good movie. I just like pray that it's going to be a good movie. <laughs> well, it's a very popular book series, so hopefully that'll it's like give it rep likes. sweats. Like, yeah. <laughs> like this and like between this and like crazy rich Asians. Like, yeah. Please be good. Please be good. Oh my God. Please be good. <laughs> Um, tell us what your thoughts are about the casting news for um, Crazy Rich Asians, for All the Boys I Loved Before, if you're a fan, um, on our Goodreads forums. We'd love to hear what you guys think. Um, as always, please join our Goodreads group, Books and Boba, to, um, to connect with us. Uh, thanks to, I feel like more people have been active on the forums lately, so that's, that's cool. Yay! <laughs> Um, but with that out of the way, um, let's wait, talk wait, about... Wait, 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 before we move on to book discussion, because uh, we just... Like Comic Con just ended and stuff. <laughs> um, did you see the Ready Player One trailer? I um, I didn't watch the full thing. I haven't. You so- watched half of a trailer. <laughs> I think. I, well, I watched it on YouTube, and I think I got this. Well, actually, I did watch. I, I don't know. I, I it's, only, it's only I, like a minute long. Bobby. I haven't read the book, so none of the things like okay. really stood out. Okay, I'm going to say something probably really controversial, but you know, you can complain about it on Goodreads, <laughs> like come at me bro um um but like i i read ready player one and i really love the book really like, i really really love the book however there are some problematic elements to it uh-huh. especially uh there's this one line where uh a character um like the character is found dead and and like the authorities are saying spoilers like, well, I'm not saying which character, but like, <laughs> but the authorities are uh, the the character is Asian, and and like the authorities are like, oh, he like committed suicide, mm. but like the main character in the book is just like, oh, like did he commit some sempuku or something along that line? Oh. And it's like, oh, there's like some uh, there's some like uh, bits of that book, but it's done <laughs> really well. I mean, I can still like a book and still acknowledge that there are some problematic elements to it. Uh huh. But when I watched the trailer, I before I watched the trailer, I was really excited for the movie because the entire time I was like, oh, my God, it's going to be such a good movie if this ever gets made. And I watched the trailer and it was my expectations for it just tanked. It, 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 like I expect like maybe like a gritty uh, Transformers movie from the from the uh-huh. trailer that I watched, which is like the complete opposite of um, Well, it's a Spielberg joint, right? I mean, like, they make it, they're trying to, like, make it look really action filmy, judging by the trailer. There's mm. a lot of, like, like car chases and, like, motorcycle, like, races and, um, and like, gunfire. And I'm just, I'm just like, what? Like, the battles that are fought in this book are, like, through wits, through, like, oh. uh, through very, like, pop culture references. So it just seemed really out of place. So I'm actually not that excited for the movie now, but I'm hoping that it's still good in its own way. I have like literally zero expectations because like the Harry Potter series, I haven't read the books. Have so you I'm read, uh, watch the movie, have you read Wrinkle in Time? Cause that's also another I movie. Not. I can't talk to anyone. <laughs> we need to find someone in our book club who has, who has read these books. I didn't read a lot of and the, watch young, the trailers like, literary, and I, can talk to me on an episode. Like I didn't read the giver. I never read the hatchet. Never oh read. Um, I barely got through like where the red fern grows. I think I got bored halfway through. I didn't read any Narnia books. I read like you know sideways stories. I read um, my teachers. And One Al- day we will my have an alien. Um, I read um, what else did I read? We're gonna have an episode one day on like a lot of goosebumps. On, on I read, book, tell me, talk to me about goosebumps. Like, on about on book to movie adaptations, and <laughs> we're gonna bring in a third or fourth person in because I don't think Marvin and I can carry on a conversation well, about this topic. If you have any thoughts about Rira's non-enthusiasm of Ready Player One, you can sound off I can, I can hear the him. screams over Twitter, like, how dare you? Well, should we go get into our, our monthly book? Yeah. Let's get to uh, Exit West. Um, do you want to read the read yeah, jacket? Sure. In a country teetering on the brink of civil war, two young people meet, sensual and fiercely independent Nadia and gentle, restrained, gentle, restrained Saeed. They embark on a furtive love affair and are soon cloistered in a premature intimacy by the unrest roiling in their city. When it explodes, turning familiar streets into a patchwork of checkpoints and bomb blasts, they begin to hear whispers about doors, doors that can whisk people far away, if perilously and for a price. As the violence escalates, Nadia and Saeed decide that they no longer have a choice. 
leaving their homeland and their old lives behind. They find a door and step through. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, this is like one of our shorter books that we've read. It was only like, oh, 230 pages. Yep. But I felt like I went on a journey from the beginning to the end. Yeah, for a very slim novel, there's a lot of story. There's a lot of story in this. Yeah. Well, I guess we can uh, just, as always, general impressions. I liked it. And I think, um, so we, we met up on, over the weekend to talk about this with the local book club here in Los Angeles. And general consensus was pretty positive. Personally, I really enjoyed, enjoyed kind of, I, I liked reading it. I'm glad I read it. Uh, but man, it was stressful. It's a stressful novel. <laughs> See, I, I didn't really find it stressful. I found it, I found it very relaxing despite... Um, mm. I mean, it, 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 the book does depict a lot of violence because it is set yeah. during like a war and there, there's a civil war. Um, but at the same time, like I felt like I was reading a fairy tale. The like Hamid's prose is very lyrical. It's mm-hmm. very whimsical. And even like the, the brutal parts of, um, of the book where you see people getting murdered or um, going, through, going through a lot of hardship. I don't know. It's just packaged in like a really like sparse way. Mm-hmm. So I would say it kind of has like this quiet brutality in its writing. But um, yeah, strangely enough, it was very relaxing for me to read. <laughs> Even it's like, oh, like this part's kind of gross. But at the same time, like... It's very like it, the the situations the protagonists find themselves in is just tense throughout. Yeah, so There's a lot of like... It doesn't let go. Like it starts with kind of a. It starts um, with the tension slowly building, and then once it like kind of climaxes, it doesn't let up until maybe like the very very end. Yeah. But even then, it's like not exactly relaxed. I actually want to read the opening paragraph of Exit West because I think it sets up the story really well. Right. Um, let me just quickly. Um, so this is the first paragraph um, from the first chapter. In a city swollen by refugees, but still mostly at peace, or at least not yet openly at war, a young man met a young woman in a classroom and did not speak to her for many days. His name was Saeed, and her name was Nadia, and he had a beard, not a full beard, more a studiously maintained stubble, and she was always clad from tips of her toes to the bottom of her jugular notch in a flowing black robe. Back then, people continued to enjoy the luxury of wearing more or less what they wanted to wear— clothing and hair-wise within certain bounds, of course. And so these choices meant something. It might seem odd that in cities teetering at the edge of the, edge of the abyss, young people still go to class. In this case, an evening class on corporate identity and product branding. But that is the way of things which, with cities as with life. For one moment, we are pottering about our errands as usual, and the next we are dying. And our eternally Im- impending ending does not put a stop to our transient beginnings and middles until the instant when it does. So that is pretty much like the first page and a half of the book. Yeah. And so what's really interesting is the book is a story of a relationship. Boy meets girl. And then what yeah. happens to the both of them? Yeah. Um, I guess like the first the first quarter of the book, I would say, um, it's just establishing their uh, relationship with each other. Was um, their courting? Their their dating? Yeah, their courtship. Um, set against the backdrop. But what I love about the first chapter, the first like how the book opens is, it's so like, if you didn't know this took place in a in in a country that was about to go into civil war, it can be anywhere. It's just. Yeah. Two people taking night classes on corporate, like night business, like they're like extension classes that we would take here. Yeah, you know. I mean, I like the fact that um, first off, the city that Said and Nadia are living in, it's not named. There's and, a lot of details that aren't defined. Like, yeah, even with like Nadia, like it says black robes instead of like a burqa, yeah. and like the religion isn't really named. Yeah, the country isn't really named. Yeah, it and I. Like in my mind, I pictured Syria, but I know that the author Mozin Hamid is Pakistani, mm-hmm. and he had actually written this book with Lahore, Pakistan in mind. Mm-hmm. But of course, like he left that out because he, like, I mean, one, he couldn't bear to write his home city <laughs> and, and like talk about the terrible things that are happening. But 
and also he wanted it to be like universal, right? Like yeah. people could relate to it even if like um, they didn't know the name. Because the story and like the, the entire narrative is about refugee migrants and kind of and being displaced from your home. Yeah. Right. And I just love how like um, like within the first page you you know that there is civil unrest yeah. and like there are militants and there there is some violence happening on the borders on the outskirts of the city but people are trying their very best to live ordinary lives yeah and um it's interesting because like this relationship between Said and Nadia it's happening in a in a war-torn country but like they try very hard to have like a resemblance of normality. Yeah, what the book does so well is establish in the beginning that these were normal people at once. Like they were people just like you and me, living in a city with like boring ass jobs. Like yeah, um, like Nadia works at an insurance company, and like Saeed works at a marketing company yeah, for like billboards. For billboards, and it's like wow, two like very mundane jobs yeah. in a not very mundane uh, circumstance. Yeah, but if you think about it, like every country, like people need marketing services, people need insurance, you know. Yeah, well, um, people have to survive yeah. regardless of what country that they're living in. Yeah. Um, but what I found really interesting is that. Uh, like like in like in the beginning of the book we realize that Said and Nadia are kind of polar opposites yeah and, and it's just and the thing is like those differences would have been marked as red flags in normal circumstances mm. but because they're in like like in a city of like in a city that's like about to explode pretty much they like well, I don't they're attracted f- to each other yeah i mean they're they're definitely physically attracted to each other um, I mean, he notices her in class and can't stop thinking about her. She thinks he has, like, a good, carefree, like, smile. Yeah, right? but, like, Saeed is, okay, like, I think we should probably lay out the differences because, th- <laughs> like, this pretty much changes the dynamics of their relationship throughout the book because in the beginning, those differences, like, seem to be kind of like charms. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, you know, as they migrate, it becomes more and more, um, like, it it makes them drift apart from each other. Yeah. Um, but Saeed, he is from, like, he ha- he lives with his parents and he has good relationship with, with his parents. And his and, family is devout. And his yeah. family is devout. It doesn't say what religion, but they do pray in a, in a regular fashion. Yeah. Um, and Nadia, she is... She is a financially independent woman. She lives by herself. She severed ties with her family because she wanted to move out and have her own life. She's not above lying to her landlady to get a good deal. Yeah, and also, like, she wears these black robes to cover her body and face, but she's not religious Mm. at all. It's, like, the uh, black robes that she wears, it's to send a signal to men to not, like, in her words, to not fuck with her. Yeah. Um, And... You know, that's, I mean, if I was Saeed, that would kind of be a red flag. Being like, you're wearing religious robes, but you're not religious. I don't know how I feel about that. But, um, you know, in in a city where things are about to explode, like, you want to have a bond with someone, right? Well, like, I don't even think that, like, because when they first started dating, they they didn't really, I don't think they intended on staying together or, like, being migrant together. Right, they were just dating, dating, and seeing if it worked out. And I think that's that's part of the the tragedy, but also the the, the a big part of the story is because they're forced into a situation where they had no choice but to stick together. Um, they had like these these relations kind of they developed in different ways, right? If 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 the war never came, if the civil war never came to their city. I can see like the story ending with them just breaking up after a few months when they, they kind of yeah. realized that they weren't 100% compatible yeah. or they weren't exactly what they were looking for. Yeah, I mean, like, right? dur- during their courtship, they have to, like, uh, like there's a lot of obstacles, right? Like, curfew and, like, her yeah. living in, in an area where you have to, like, go through a checkpoint and him, like, having to dress up as, <laughs> as a woman in black robes in order to get into her yeah. apartment. So there's a lot of hoops that they have to go through. And... um and really, their relationship doesn't have a label. They don't call themselves boyfriend and girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Saeed is also, you know, when they do get physical, Saeed says, oh, I don't want to have actual intercourse until yeah, we're, until married. we're married. married. And Nadia, who is very confident with her 
sexuality and her sensuality, she's just like, <laughs> like, well, what are you talking about? Like, the first thing she says, like, are you are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, and also, like, he proposes to her at some point during, like, I think it's after his mother dies, right? I don't know. He doesn't propose to her. Doesn't propose? No, oh. no. Um, yeah, like, because you mentioned it. Yeah, his mom dies in, in a very, like... A stray Jar- shell hits her while she was like. Yeah, reading that part was pretty jarring. I was just like, yeah. "Oh snap!" Like that just happened in a span of one sentence. But okay. Well, the t- the book does a good job. Well, the book does interesting things with time, right? Kind of. There's. It's not exactly linear. Yeah. Because it, it it foreshadows the future very explicitly, like saying that this is the last year that Sight's mom and dad will be together. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And things like that. So you 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 you, you kind of knew something was going to happen. Yeah, and you also don't know how much time has passed in yeah. the relationship between Saeed and Nadia. But uh, what happens though is the things in the city. So like the civil war in the city gets really heated, and um, now it's like now the area that Saeed and uh, Nadia are living in it's kind of a war zone. Well, now. the militants take over pretty much. Yeah, um, and then. Basically, they decide they, they need to get out of there if they were to survive. Because um, the militants, they, they don't specify what type of militants they are. But, you know, from the from the, the, the clues, you can tell that they are probably religious fundamental yeah. like extremists. Well, right? like what happens is that things are getting things are getting intense. And Saeed suggests to Nadia, oh, like you're living by yourself. It's dangerous. And I know you're independent and you want to prove to everybody that you you can take care of yourself but right now like it's safer if you moved in with my family and like the the day when she like comes over to the fam like comes over to Saeed's family Mm -hmm. family's home uh Saeed's mother dies and therefore like Nadia is kind of like stuck in this position of like providing comfort for both Saeed's father and Saeed well she comes after or like the the day after or something like like during the funeral yeah yeah well, she was supposed to like move in with them anyway, and that like that kind of catalyzed her to stay um like kind of permanently with with Said's family. And um I guess we can move on to like the the doors, the so-called magical doors. Right, so that's a big uh a big part of the story is that there are these doors that lead you to other places. And yeah, like every single chapter has like a non sequitur like passage about like a certain story with the doors. So, you know, certain stories are um like a family going through a door that gets picked up by police or this Japanese Yakuza dude seeing Filipino women coming out of a door and like following them creepily. Almost like, yeah, like what do you, what, what do you, what did you think about the doors and like the non sequiturs? Okay, so first off, when I heard about this book, it was being marketed as a magical realism book. Mm-hmm. So I expected it to be way more magical <laughs> than it actually than it actually was because Hamid's novel is pretty much really really grounded in realism and the only slivers of magical uh, magical realism are these doors and um i think it was a very i thought it was smart because um the doors pretty much like traveling through the doors pretty much took the place of you know getting yourself out of the country via air land or sea right and if he had kept those though that part of the journey in we would have read a lot like the half the book would have been just like their the dangers of traveling like yeah. out of a country right so this 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 way he can focus on what happens after you get to a place yeah. where you're no longer like where you are no longer like where you don't belong I have a quote up, here you know? from an NPR interview that Hamid did and he said I wanted to explore what made you leave and what happened when you arrived yeah. and that is the reason why he um created these magical doors in his book and strangely enough that was like the first idea he had when he was drafting the novel Mm. so like the whole like door concept was at the center of the novel and i thought it was a really clever way too to like just 
focus on the important parts, uh, like the concerns that a lot of immigrants and refugees have, like, oh, will I survive the journey? Will I ever be able to see my family at home again? Will I, um, like, how long will it take me to adapt to this new foreign place? So I think the doors did a really good job establishing those fears and concerns before yeah. each character stepped through the door. Um, but yeah, I guess we could talk about like how Saeed and Nadia came to the decision to leave their home country. Well, their home country became well, yeah, unsafe but to stay like, in. <laughs> but like, I, I mean, it was unsafe to stay in, but they were planning to leave with Saeed's father. But mm-hmm. Saeed's father, he said, oh, this is where your mother is, and I don't want to leave. Yeah. And, um, and this kind of like puts Saeed in a very difficult position because like he... He uh, there's a quote in this book that says um, we murder the, when we migrate we murder those um, we leave behind in our lives yeah and yeah like if for Saeed's for Saeed's case it's pretty literal um, because if he leaves his father behind there's a high chance that his dad will not survive the uh, militants rule um, and and and. It's it's strange because Saeed and Nadia's fears are very different from each other before mm-hmm. they decide to go through the door. Well, so the book also, like, the book is in third person, right? So you get to see the thoughts, the thought process of a lot of characters, not just Saeed, not just Nadia, but also of her father, of his, of his father, of his mother, and a lot of the side characters, too, mm-hmm. yeah. right, from the non-sequiturs. And you, you see, there, was a, there was a couple of paragraphs from Saeed's dad's perspective saying that a, a big reason why he didn't want to go was he knew that if he went, he would just slow them down. Like he, they wouldn't be able, like, the chance of them surviving is higher. is higher if he's not with them, too. Yeah. Right? So there's all these, like, this push and pull, right? Because you know, obviously, Saeed's a very, like, um, pious and faithful son, mm-hmm. right? So leaving his father behind would, would cause a lot of guilt. And then... Um, with Nadia also, like, um, well, I, I think his father can see through, like, kind of like maybe this isn't going to work out. You know, the relationship. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, he said something like he wishes that she would marry his son, but regardless, like, make sure he's okay. Yeah. Right. Take care of him for me. Yeah. Right. I mean, which is like a big responsibility <laughs> to put on someone who is not your daughter-in-law, but. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with Nadia, like she's not in the same situation as Saeed. She's kind of severed her contacts with her family. And with her, it's just all about like, she's almost impatient to leave, to get through the door. And yeah. um, while, and when they do finally go through the first door, um, like Saeed almost, uh, like, Saeed, like when they step through the first door, Saeed's like looking back. And yeah. it's almost as if he wants to go back. And like, and like, take back his decision to leave in the first place. I mean, I think, um, and we, we saw this in like when reading the sympathizer, and also parts of reading um, the best we can do by T. Bowie, um, is you know you see different types of refugees, right? The, the, like, and two main kind of ways to look at the refugee experience. Like one side, you have, all right, this is the situation now. We have to survive. We have to make the best of it. Let's find out how to survive in this new reality that we see ourselves in. And the other side is like constantly looking back, like thinking about what was lost or what we left behind mm-hmm, and yeah. wanting it back. Yeah. Um, I mean, with Nadia, like she mentions uh, in, in like her inner monologue mm-hmm. that she's afraid that stepping through the door will mean that she's losing her autonomy because yeah. she will have to depend on Saeed and Saeed will have to depend on her. And she doesn't know what country gonna, she's going to end up in. So um, there's also a sense of like, oh, well, will the, for, will the place that we're going to be in a better situation than the one that we're coming from? Right. So, um, I mean, I think that her, her fears are very much stemmed in... Because um, she comes from a country where like women are not as free as mm-hmm. the men. I, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a better way to put that in, in, in phrase, but... Well, it, it's literally, they're not as free. Like, they're people... Even, even in those early passages, people are, you know, groping her at the bank. People are yelling at her on the streets for, like, riding a bike by herself. Yeah, and she has to, like, right? carry weapons around with her yeah. just in case, like, you know, someone tries to mug her. 
Um, but yeah, like the first place that they end up in is the Greek Isle of Mykonos. Yeah, it's a touristy island. Yeah, we found out through one of our book club members uh, that Mykonos is actually a very famous island for American tourists who like to party and, uh, you know, a lot of them are gay as well. So yeah, it's a big a queer of, scene there, apparently. Yeah, a very big queer scene. <laughs> I did not know that when I was reading uh, that chapter. Yeah. So, I mean, now it makes more sense knowing that, but, um, but they arrive and it's pretty much... Um, it's a refugee camp. It's a refugee camp. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not even like... It's no one's final destination. It's just like a... A holding camp. Yeah, the holding, holding camp. place. Yeah. And everyone's always on the lookout for new doors to lead somewhere else. Because apparently at this point, the doors, the magical doors become like an nas- international problem. Um, not at all allusion to the refugee crisis that we're seeing right now. But um, basically... It's a great allegory. The rich countries are cl- clamping down on doors leading to their countries but leaving the doors open to other poor countries open, hoping that they'll just go back to where they came from. Yeah. And yeah. And, and it's not just, um, it's not just like the refugees leaving through these doors. I'm, I mean, we see militants going through doors into richer countries and like, yeah. One of the non sequiturs was basically a door leading into the country that Saeed and Nadia are from. And you see someone come in with like an AK and, leave to go do the fighting and that's you know i kind of um to me that wasn't like uh is it an illusion or is it an allegory of um of you know like these extremist groups bringing like recruiting like, recruiting people from elsewhere to come fight their wars to you know to yeah expand their state you know yeah and it's interesting because in an interview with um Mohsin Hamid he said that uh these magical doors uh they like I, I think I have the exact quote. Uh, the doors, although they're not true to physics, I think they're emotionally true to our current technological reality. And that's true because, you know, you can open up your computer or phone mm-hmm. and you can just go on social media and you're there. Like, yeah. like, like our screens in the real world are kind of like doors to other countries. And so social media also plays a big part in the story yes. too. Yes. Um, like, um, Nadia is very much connected. Like she likes to check news, go social media. Whereas uh, Saeed's a little bit more like limits his screen time. Yeah, yeah. He's very, very disciplined in his screen time, which is I couldn't I couldn't deal with one one hour a day <laughs> personally. Well, okay. So they arrive at this refugee camp, and um, pretty much like we said, it's like a holding area, and there really is no hope for the refugees unless they have like they brought a lot of resources with them when they were stepping through the door yeah because they still have to like pay for food or like find manage to like find their way right uh into shelter and stuff like that and there's still this like animosity brewing with the locals right there's yeah a, they're there's like a point where, like um, the refugees can't or... go to like touristy areas they're yeah, like completely they're barred from it and you kind of see in this at this point like there's no there's not a lot of hope right there's a lot of people trying to survive but there isn't a lot of optimism or hope within the the migrants not just Sayin and Nadia but like their their community of migrants themselves right? yeah. so you know they decide that they have to well, they, they, the first chance they get, they they leave, and that comes through. That comes through um, Nadia's. Nadia's. Uh, so yes, because Nadia gets injured from running away from some rough ruffians, yeah, and befriends a girl that's volunteering, a local girl that's volunteering at the hospital, and she's the one that hooks them up with like this new door. Yeah, they get access to this door that's yeah. supposed to lead them to a better country. So I guess we'll move on to the second leg of, of this book. And the second country that they end up in is London. And it's actually... The country's England. Oh, the city c- is London. The city is London. Sorry, sorry. Don't want to be that guy. I just wanted to... Pushing I, my glasses. I, actually... I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm talking. I am not used to talking. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the, the second leg is they end up becoming squatters at this, like... Um, Jane Austen like mansion, I guess, in like the in the middle of the country somewhere yeah. in in London, and and it's just it's so funny to me because it's just like, can you imagine like you're the owner of that house? 
<laughs> and like you, and then you find out like through your housekeeper that you, got that, squatters. That you have like 50 squatters <laughs> from different countries. Like imagine that, that is like yeah. crazy. So this, um, this takes Pete. So they move from being in a refugee camp now to becoming essentially illegal aliens, right? In, in, in the country. Yeah. Um, but like the, the home that they're staying in, it's not just people from uh, Said and Nadia's country. They're refugees from all over the world. Yeah. So there's a lot of Nigerians in their house. The house that they stay in specifically is the Nigeria house, I guess yeah. you can call it. Um, and the house like that's the mansion that is like next door to them. Is or nearby. Yeah, there's a nearby house that's full of people from Said, Said and, and Nadia's, Nadia's country, home country. Yeah, home country. Um, and this is where you kind of start seeing rifts between the way that Nadia and Said both approach being yeah. refugees, right? Um, Nadia decides to, you know, get involved with her local community, essentially, like becoming part of the, the, the council. Like she's the only non-Nigerian voice on this council whereas Saeed starts becoming really really Saeed uh, like one he's not interacting with the other housemates he's locking himself in in the room and only coming out when he really needs to Mm -hmm. and he's become more pious like he's like before he prayed like semi-regularly and now he's praying like way more often you find him kind of doubling down more and more into his religion and his traditions traditions, where he starts he wants to move to the house that people, that his countrymen are from. Even though he would be giving up his own bedroom for a shared room. Yeah, like that. <laughs> that like that situation was like really uh, interesting to read about because like Nadia is like, why would we give up yeah. like our own home and move to a place where we'll have we'll be separated and like just to yeah. be with like people who look like us. And <laughs> I just I, I just thought that was really funny because you see that in in real life, right? Yeah, Where yeah. there are like immigrants who stay only stay within their community, only stay uh within their ethnic community and only speak the language that uh you know that that their country's main language is and and then there are like immigrants who actually <laughs> go out and try to branch out a little bit more. Yeah. And so during this time, you kind of see that the, the whole country is resisting the migrants, right? They shut, off their util- like, they shut off their utilities, they shut off their power, they try to drive them out through force. Yeah. And then you kind of see the, the, the squatters take different approaches to dealing with this animosity, right? Yeah, some of the Nigerians, they're all for like peaceful protest. And, yeah, uh, the Nigerians are for, for nonviolent protest, whereas the people from... Um, Saeed and Nadia's home country favor more like armed resistance and they actually start they have a door back to their home country that they start bringing in weapons from yeah but um, there 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 is kind of like the standoff between the migrants and the The natives Um, because neither one is willing to cross this line right like for the nativists who are like we we don't want you squatters here you don't want you migrants here to really quote unquote solve the problem for them yeah means genocide and they're not gonna like cross they don't want, that yeah. line it, it, the book makes a point that they in the end they decided the price of what they wanted isn't worth like having to face their children and telling them what they had to do to secure it yeah right they were all for like roughing people up and like scaring them but it came down to like literally wiping them out they didn't want to do that yeah so they move on to this kind of this compromise state where um, where the government contracts pretty much hires the migrants to build migrant housing, like new housing projects. Mm-hmm. And in return for their labor, they would get a guaranteed spot. Yeah. In like, you know, in, in the new housing project, like a new, a flat yeah. pretty much. And there's, there's like a time tax pretty much. Yeah. So the longer you stay in the country, it starts, you know, the like, more benefits you, the get. less you pay. And then after, at a certain point you start receiving payment from the migrants yeah um and i felt like that was a pretty good policy suggestion it's a Maybe good it's policy like- suggestion that probably will not work because mm. uh, we live in the darkest timeline yeah. <laughs> no like what's really funny to me is like when this book came out it was like right after brexit happened mm. and people were marketing this book as the first post-brexit book <laughs> and it's just, it's just so funny because the because like 
um, like one of the locations is in London, and there's yeah. like this whole like migrants versus nativists uh, like conflict, and 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 it's not really that unlike the conflict that we're going through right now. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was just it was just really funny because the book kind of like took it way over the top, right? Because magical doors, like there's no like legal process, right? Um, and it's just something that happens, just like yeah. You know, with crises, refugees happen. Yeah. Like they, they're, they're, they're a, a very, they're a result of crises that you have to, you have to plan for and deal with. Yeah, like I, people, you know? like I, like one message I took away from this book, and this book is very much a message book, <laughs> I would say. But um, the message that I took away was, you can't stop immigration you can't stop migration it's always been like a part of human history and like this this like delusion that americans and a lot of western countries have of like oh we're gonna stop people from immigrating into our countries it doesn't like like other doors will pop up like other ways will will come up you can't you can never really stop the flow of human migration unless you're willing to cross that line and just yeah unless you're willing to cross that line but no like no reasonable person wants to do that yeah but the thing is like this delusion like you need to kind of stop having those delusions and just just kind of like accept the fact that you can't stop it so might as well prepare for it might as well like make policies and compromises for it Um, i mean like we mentioned the intermittent chapters earlier Mm -hmm. and uh, i just want to bring them back because it shows different kinds of migrants right and different reactions to migrants. yeah different reactions to it and we see one where there was like an englishman i think he was english i'm not sure if he was american but portuguese i want to say was he portuguese i no i'm talking about the man who decides to leave his home because uh He's depressed oh. and like I think it was it was the British guy. I'm, I'm not sure. It was some <laughs> Western country, wealthy Western country, and there's this man who has, um, you know, he he's depressed. I, he like yeah, he's depressed. His wife left him. His his kid is all grown up and yeah. doesn't visit him any, anymore. And he decides that he's going to take his own life. But then a, a, a door appears in his in his home yeah. and he's like well might as well see where this goes uh before i take my own life and he walks through the door and he just ends up in a random country and just never decides to go back yeah. to his home he mails a letter to his family and says hey um Wish I'm, you were here it's like hey i'm here if you want to look for me but i'm not going back yeah and he's like per- and that's that's what i've seen like it's very similar to uh, what I've seen with expats, you know. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people my age, they're going to Asian countries to teach English for a <laughs> year, and it's been like four years. And I'm like, are you ever going to come back? And well, they're like, I don't know. know. Like maybe if it's jet, it's three year contracts, so you get to renew once. So six years max. Some people yeah. stay longer. But you know how people are. They're like, oh, I'm <laughs> only going to stay there for a year, or for a year, or like yeah. two years, and then they end up staying there for like like half a decade <laughs> well i mean if but, you have the basic needs to survive like you can do whatever you want i think that that that's a perfect segue into like basically um nadia and Saeed are, are offered this a chance to have a place to live in london but they get stuck in this like bureaucratic nightmare where like they kind of realize to get to get that flat that they're working towards they're gonna have to work like a long a long time to get there yeah, yeah. The whole thing is like everyone is working overtime yeah. to get their name not even bumped up, but to like maintain the list, their yeah. ranking on the list. Um, so, and then Nadia can sense, like, they, they both can sense that they're not really happy there yeah. in London. So they decide to move again to take another door. Yeah, and this door leads them to Marin County, uh, <laughs> California. North of the Bay Area, just yeah, north, north of yeah, the north Golden of Gate San Bridge. Francisco, yeah. yeah. Which I always thought was a, I always thought Marin County was like a rich county, but apparently, apparently there's like a bubble, <laughs> like there's like a bubble of like really wealthy neighborhoods, and okay. then like outside it, it's just like it's not that great. Yeah, um, and they end up in California. Um, they set up a shanty, and they're they're part of this, I guess, another migrant community, but this one is more with more services, right? So this. 
I mean, each time they move, it's like a different characterization of how. I think it's like different stages of like uh, of like the refugee experience, right? Yeah. Like one is like escape, fleeing your country. And getting stuck in like the holding area. Yeah, one is a refugee camp. One is kind of like illegal immigration. Illegal, illegal immigration, and the third, this one is kind of um, illegal immigration with some agency. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, they have more agency in like in Marin County. They're they're able to find an actual community, right? Yeah, where um, like Said finds a church that accepts him and that he can pray at, and Nadia finds a job. And I think they reclaim, they're able to reclaim some semblance of independence. Yeah. Right. Because like in London, um, like when they were squatting, obviously that house wasn't theirs. And even when uh, they got moved out into like the work camp, into into the work camp, it's a work camp. It's not really uh, a place that they can call their own. So in Marin County, even though they're living in like the shanty town, Mm -hmm. like they're, I, I guess like they're little shelter it's theirs like they get to keep that they yeah. like they have some ownership over that and then in this in this situation they kind of the differences that start to build like they get to a place where they can decouple yeah amicably yeah. like right. i think the book says oh their relation the passion their relationship has kind of fizzled out yeah. and the and like their relationship kind of resembled more of uh more of that of siblings yeah because they went through this very harrowing experience together yeah. And so they have that connection, but the the passion, like if this like we said, if, if they had just like dated normally in their if their country hadn't been overrun, overtaken, or in by civil war, they probably would have like broken up and Yeah. By now, right? But there is this there is this very powerful bond between them. And also it's like they're both from the same place and yeah. like she is his only only connection to his family like the only person who probably understands where he comes from how he's changed and has kind of like been through every single step with him Mm. and even though like he doesn't really love her anymore it's just like well like am i going to give that up am i going to give up someone who understands all of me completely but then he also like all the things that start bothering them about each other that should have bothered like all the red flags that we talked about at the beginning start to really start bothering him yeah right he starts being bothered about why she wears the rose when she doesn't have to and she um she starts being bothered by how religious he is right yeah and how 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 that's become a bigger part of his life and how she like she's also being bothered by like how he's only seeking out his community and not really trying to like uh I mean, I wouldn't say... She's also having um, bisexual love dreams, too. Yeah, bisexual love <laughs> dreams, too. Um, yeah, like the whole, like... Like, like the girl that she meets in Mykonos yeah. who helps her uh, find a door to London. Starts becoming her fantasy. I mean, I knew that, like, she was bisexual at that point, but, mm. like, once our book club, me- book club member, Ani, who's been on this podcast before, um, said, oh, Mykonos is, like, a very big queer scene. I'm like... Oh, <laughs> oh, makes sense now. Yeah. Um, so I kind of felt like the decoupling was a little clean, but I guess, I don't know. It, in, in terms of the story, it made sense because they come, they come to a place where they realize if they stayed any longer, it would be a more messy breakup. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and they do mention that at the end of the book. Like, like we said, we don't know how much time passes in yeah. their relationship or how long they're staying in each, uh, each location. But uh, when they meet at the end. Well, I think it was about a year, they said, from, from the first door to Marin County was about a year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But, um, you know, they gradually drift apart. They, mm-hmm. like, used to meet, like, once a week just to make sure the other was in a firm yeah, uh, foothold like they're in a secure place, and then this is after they break up. Yeah, after yeah. they break up, and then it's like once every month yeah. because you know people get busy or they just really don't want to hear about how your relationship with the person well, that you're now with, dating. Like, I think they talk about social media, like wanting to avoid. Yeah, because I guess um, she starts dating the cook from her the food co-op that she she works, she at. works at, who who is a uh, a lesbian. Yeah, and um. Said. He starts dating the daughter of the preacher of the church he starts going to. Yeah, and the daughter of the preacher, she's like... Um, who's, why, who's like whose mother was from his home country. Yeah, right? yeah. 
Um, so it's like they don't really want to talk about their new significant others. <laughs> so it's like once a month, and then soon, like they just kind of drift off and go their own ways without any contact. Yeah. And um, when we get to the last chapter of the book, it like so much time has passed. They're both uh, fully grown with with separate lives, and they meet in they meet back in their home yeah, country. Yeah, it's a half a century later, so about fifty years later. Yeah, they appear back and. I think there was a really interesting um, passage that they talked about, which is like, imagine what would have happened if we had gotten had gotten married, mm-hmm. or if or we had she got had pregnant. sex, right? Yeah. And I think that's that's a really interesting kind of thought exercise because there are situations of couples like Said and Nadia who end up having to stay together because of marriage or because of kids, yeah. right? A lot of refugee families that have to stick together. And how that would have affected their relationship as well. Yeah, but, a lot of like a lot of um, <laughs> immigrants also do like marriage just for like a chance to leave their country too. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, like things would have been a lot messier. And I guess they both they they both express this relief, right? Like it's <laughs> like, oh, thank God we didn't like have yeah. sex and like I didn't accidentally I, I didn't accidentally get pregnant or like all these things. Yeah, because we would just be miserable together. And, um. <laughs> The one thing that um, so I guess my last my my last the last thing I want to talk about is the um, the last non sequitur during when they were in Marin County was about a um, old woman in I guess Palo Alto right yeah who um, has lived in her house for seventy years and has seen basically her neighborhood change from being a place where everyone looked like her to now where no one looked like her um, not even her favorite granddaughter who is like part Chinese, half Chinese. Mm-hmm. And then there was that, that phrase, right? Like we're all migrants in time. Yeah. We're, yeah. Right. We're saying, even if you don't go anywhere, things change yeah, around you. Yeah. Like not, not even just like talking about location. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously if you lived in New York city in like the 1970s, New York city <laughs> is a very different city now, but it's also just through, um, like circumstances, right? Yeah. Like you can, like the city might not have changed that much, but you know, like things happen to you and you change and grow into a different person each time. Yeah. I liked how at the end, the place they ended up is probably the best place for them because it's a place where multiculturalism is becoming normal. It's becoming the new, the new normal. And it kind of ends on this very, like to me, like a very like, Go USA type of like <laughs> tone, which is like, of course, the best place to end up is America in California. I don't know. It seemed like they didn't, neither of them stayed in Marin County. Like, it seemed like they traveled oh, yeah, a lot. But America's still the best in this story. Oh, I, I, <laughs> fun fact uh, Mohsen Hamid, the author, um, so he lived in the US for 17 years. Mm. I, I'm guessing that he was born in the US, but I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but he lived in the U.S. for 17 years. He lived in Britain for like another decade, uh-huh. and now he's living in Pakistan. Okay, so he is very familiar with migrating <laughs> uh, into like different continents, different cultures. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I, it was a very interesting um, portrayal of not just the refugee experience, but also just like how different places except like multiculturalism i felt like reading the book helped me empathize with like the refugee experience right because personally i have never been a refugee my parents weren't really refugees my grandparents were but like reading through this you kind of get the full like a like a sampler plate of what it would be like to go from a like because, like we said, it starts off in a very normal, like almost mundane setting, right? These yeah. are office workers in the country. They're taking night classes, and all of a sudden, everything gets taken from them, from their services to their homes, and then they have to figure out what to do. Yeah. Right? I mean, I thought it was also, um, I mean, yeah, it did remind me why refugees leave their country. Nobody really wants <laughs> to leave, like, their home where yeah. they're like where their family is and they know the language and the customs. I mean, no one would just leave um, like on the drop of a hat really, mm-hmm. unless they had like a real reason to go. But um, in the intermittent stories, we see like different types of uh, migrants. Like we, like we see these two Filipino girls in Tokyo right. and, um, 
I mean, I'm pretty sure their fates did not end very well. They were the ones being followed by the, the Yakuza, Yakuza murderer, dude. murderer dude. Yeah. Um, but like, it made me think of, it made me think of how there are a lot of Filipino immigrants in Japan and most of them are women and they yeah. come for like opportunities because they want to advance their careers. Um, I mean, same with Taiwan. There's a lot of Filipino and even Vietnamese yeah. um, women as they work as housekeepers or nurses or nurses for yeah. like a better chance for their children and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and everywhere, you know, immigrants are seen as, Oh, they're taking their jobs or I don't like foreigners. And yeah. you know, like xenophobia isn't uniquely a Western thing. No, no. Know? Everybody's <laughs> racist. Everybody yeah. is racist. <laughs> um, one of my favorite uh, intermittent chapters though, was um, that scene. I think it was in Germany. There was like that old German man. Oh, the one that um, that old found, Ger- yeah, like that, the fisherman or no, that like old German man like on his balcony, and he's like, and he sees a door that's like right underneath his building, and uh, he sees like this um, Brazilian artist keep like go right. like, passing through, and then like one day like he just invites him up to his balcony, and they like don't know each other's languages, but they're like chatting anyway, and then he goes through the door to Brazil, and uh-huh. he's seeing like like where uh, this painter guy is from and then they become a couple yeah. and they're like just <laughs> two old men and I'm like, oh, they found each other at the end of their lives. Like how, like yeah. how sweet. And it's, um, it's a very, like it's, there's just so many different, like it just shows like there are other ways to react to foreigners than hate and yeah. fear. Yeah, fear right. and hate really doesn't, do much when it comes to <laughs> yeah. progressing things. So, yeah, it was a very optimistic book. I, would I thought say. so too. Even though I did feel it was like I, I, I can feel the tenseness um, of just like the whole refugee experience. But in the end, I felt like it. It, it gave a very like it's a. It was a very positive. It ends on a positive note, right? Yeah, I um, think it also ends on on like a realistic note because yeah. you know. I don't want to be a cynic, but like, <laughs> but like long, long t- relationships that last like a lifetime, they're very rare. Mm. And, um, you know, like a lot of couples, they do lose that passion like midway through their relationship. Yeah. So I thought it was like a very realistic way to portray a relationship, and but this, at the yeah. same time have like this dose of this optimism. Was, <laughs> this was definitely a relationship where it was running at least initially purely on passion yeah and like and lust i guess like there is very much physical and superficial attraction but then you know the core the red flags the the reasons they broke up were always there from the yeah beginning. yeah yeah but yeah i mean it was it was i enjoyed following the, the relationship just their experiences and yeah like i like the book I had very different expectations when I heard about this book and read the summary for it. Um, I thought when Saeed and Nadia would go through a door, they would end up in different places in the world. And then like the book would just be about them, like trying to like find each other again. But I'm very glad that it didn't do that (laughs) because I feel like my anxiety would have been like off the charts. It's like, how are they going to connect? How are they going to go back through well, the I mean, same when, place? When you, when you first hear about the, about the doors, you, you're not really sure how it works, right? Yeah. But I guess it is like a one-on-one type of thing. Yeah, we were mentioning a lot of other like fantasy series that use uh, that uses doors, like magical portals, mm-hmm. and there's a lot like um, like Narnia and like Neverwhere, Alice in Wonderland. So it's definitely a trope that's been around for a very long time in literature. But I like the way that Mozin Hamid used it in, in his book. Yeah. It's very simplistic, and I think it served a good purpose. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Um, I don't know. I hugged my Kindle after I finished the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good read. It's a really quick read, too. So um, for those of you who haven't read the book yet, but after listening to us talk about want to read it, go read it. Uh, it's, it's, it's good. Thumbs up. Um, I enjoyed it too. I, I really liked, um, I thought it was just a really good, it's a book you want to show other people, right? You want to let other people to read and share the experience too, which is good, which is, yeah. which is a good thing for a book to be. 
Um, and that'll that's our discussion on Mosin Hamid's Exit West. You can find it at your local bookstore or on Amazon or wherever you find your books, Kindle, libraries. Yeah. Libraries. Always <laughs> support your local libraries. Um, Reba, what's our books and Boba book pick for August? So our pick for August is The Devotion of Suspect X Ooh. by Keigo Higashino. And it is our first uh, work of fiction that has been translated. Okay. So, um, it's by, uh, like I said, Keiko Higashino, and he is a very celebrated uh, crime novelist in Japan. So we're reading a crime novel, uh, Heads Up. Nice. And it's translated by Alexander O. Smith. Now, I always, I'm always like very uh, hesitant to read translated works because I'm, I'm, as someone who is kind of semi-bilingual, I know <laughs> that things get lost in translation all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I looked up the translator, Alexander O. Smith, and I found out that he has done a lot of translated works for video games. Okay. And he was the translator for the Phoenix Wright series. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, snap, I love that game. So, yeah. Okay. Like, my, my trust is in, is in this man. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> That's exciting. Um, this will be book number 12 for our book club. Um, we're almost coming up to our one-year anniversary for Books and Bulba. Yeah, think about it. If you've been here since the beginning, you've read 12 books yeah. in the span of one year. That's more books than I've read in the last 12 years. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, but yeah, looking forward to reading that book. As always, you can chat with us and discuss our book picks uh, through our Goodreads forums by going to goodreads.com and looking up Books and Boba. You can also follow us on Twitter, where Rira does a really good job not only keeping up with book news, but creating graphics for stuff, too. I have a lot of time. <laughs> um, and yeah, thanks for listening to um, our discussion of Exit West. Um, tune back. Uh, we're setting up a couple of really cool author interviews that we're going to hopefully get done over the, the next month or so. So um, stay updated. Subscribe to us on iTunes, on Google, Google Play Music, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And yeah, thanks for listening. Keep reading, you guys. Bye. Bye. Books and Boba was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited by Marvin Yue. Don't forget to join the Books and Boba Goodreads group to share your thoughts about our monthly book picks as well as share updates and book news with your fellow book club members. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of podcasts featuring unique voices from the Asian American community. If you like Books and Boba, check out our other great podcasts such as the Collabcast, the official podcast of the collaboration movement, taking a weekly look at pop culture and the creative life from an Asian American perspective. Check out the Collabcast and the other great programs of the Potluck Collective by going to the website www.podcastpotluck.com.